Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. And welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. Huh, day? Yeah, it's cleared off out there, too. It looks pretty nice. Yeah, it's going to warm up a little bit. 80s, Might even hit the 80 mark. Yeah. Rain headed our way again for Saturday, it appears. According to the weatherman. Yeah. Oh, well, it's that time of year, and we got to set the clock back, right? Fall back. Yeah. A whole extra hour. There or you go. Or if you uh, are up at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, you get to relive <laughs> 2 a.m. all over again. <laughs> That's true. Oh, gosh. Well, less than a week from the midterm elections. The most important elections of our lifetime. That's what we hear every time, right? <laughs> But this uh, time it's different. This time it's, yeah, it's it really, really the most yeah. important. <laughs> oh, gosh. So the president heads down to Florida. It didn't go well down there. So, you know, we've discussed this before that I can understand an occasional slip-up when you're in the business of speaking to the public. It happens. But, guys, even the New York Times... Just jumping on him. And I went back and just took a look at some of what he said yesterday. He said almost half of all seniors in the United States lived in poverty before Social Security. He he referred to, I don't know, did I send you some sound on this about the hurricane? How he referred to the Hurricane, that was terrible. He also said that... Yeah. You got that? Play that. That'll give you a taste. It's got a little, it's got a little watermark when it starts, but then it's okay. I was in Florida was almost a month ago because of Hurricane Ivan. Ian, excuse me. Hurricane Ivan, excuse me. Ian. <laughs> oh, gosh. That wasn't even the worst of it. No, no. He also referred to, he, he blamed inflation on the war in Iraq. Oh, excuse me, Ukraine. I'm thinking of Iraq because that's where my son died. No, that's not true either. Just changing the price. And they talk about inflation. You know, we're dealing with it for a whole second. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now. Because of a war in Iraq and the impact on oil and what Russia's doing, I mean, excuse me, the war in, in Ukraine, 
and uh, think of Iraq because that's when my son died. Yeah, it's not true, though. It's not true. He said he attended an HBCU as well. Did you hear that? No, he didn't. I believe that would be Delaware State University. He did. He attended the University of Delaware. I mean, how can you just keep saying stuff like that? Not even close. HBCUs. I'm a big fan of HBCUs. I got my start at one of those other HBCUs, Delaware State University. No, you didn't. No, 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 you didn't. Well, why does he keep doing this? Because it's all he knows how to do. It's all he's been doing for four plus decades. It's unbelievable. I mean, so if you can't, if you can't get the respect and the support of voters when you're a politician based on your your true record, you resort to lying, and that's how you do it. I mean, just lots of lying, not. You know, like, just fudging a little bit here. We're talking about just, mate, it's not hard to figure out where the guy went to school. I, I just, I don't understand it. And I don't understand how he continues to do it unscathed. And I guess that's because the media is just so far in his camp. And I don't know if it's his camp. It's just anti-anything on the right. More than so, I guess he would be the leader of the movement against the right, so to speak. I just can't wrap my head around the continuing lie about his son dying in Iraq. I agree. What's the purpose? How do of you that? forget how your loved one passed? Did he forget? Has he forgotten? Is he just trying to fill in a blank, or is he just does he just lie so often that it just happens naturally? I don't know, but I would agree. He he died at Walter Reed Military uh, Medical Center in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. Well, that's fact. I I don't understand the purpose of that, of lying about that. Does he is he trying to you think convey the idea that his his son died in combat in Iraq? I mean, like, that's somehow more noble and virtuous. I mean, it's, it's horrible. He was a young man. And once he was diagnosed, it didn't take long. He went down, which is typical for that particular disease, a brain cancer, a type of brain cancer. Man, it's, ter- it's terrible. And it, no, no parent should have to bury their child, for sure. That's horrific. But why lie about it, though? I mean, I can't, I can't rationalize it. I guess is the, is the, what I'm looking for. So, anyhow, he um, he's making the rounds. Florida yesterday. I think uh, they're headed to. I know uh, Barack Obama is scheduled to be in Nevada and then in Phoenix. Of course, you got big races in both of those states. Certainly in Nevada, the Senate race, and in Phoenix, in Arizona, Senate and governor. You know, we could end up with a situation where Republicans have 32 governors after next week. 32. And and net increase of four. And that's because there are states that are typically reliably blue for Democrats that are in play. 
and have a high probability of flipping. It's, uh, it's amazing what's going on. Now, in the meantime, the president, by the way, is really trying to sell this idea, which is complete horse hockey, that Republicans seek to end Social Security and Medicare. And that's just simply not true. And in fact, Republicans, honestly, only a couple, have raised their hand and said, you know, this, this Social Security Medicare deal is about to go broke. We've got to do something about it. So just the, just the thought, just the mention of we've we got to address this, this issue. It's, it's, not, it's insolvent, technically, and it's not economically feasible for it to continue at the current rate. Well, that gets construed and distorted as they want to end Social Security and Medicare. And he's literally, that's what he's doing. And uh, it's, that's his t primary talking points, which means they're just out of anything else to talk about. Because it's not true. How many people that are present when he makes that statement realize that? I don't know. Even Randy Weingarten, you know who she is, head of the largest teachers union in the country, largely responsible, honestly, for the poor scores we just received, how students fared during the stupid lockdowns. We got some sound on her. Here you go. Listen to Randy Weingarten. The party that wants to cut taxes for the rich and wants to cut the hard-earned benefits that, that, that Ohioans have earned. So you can tell she's in Ohio. So, Rhino, you saw that. She's blustery there, right? I mean, That's her usual speech-giving tactics. That's unbelievable. That literally, when I saw it, and I, that's something I, I really think carefully about before I say it, but just in terms of the body language, nothing else. Let me be clear. It looked like Adolf Hitler. She reminds me a lot of the uh, no pomegranates professor that went viral several years ago for throwing a hissy fit over students eating pomegranates in her classroom. If you've never seen that, Google angry pomegranate professor, and you'll see exactly what Randy Weingarten looked like in this video. It is awesome. Of course, she's in Ohio, as you can tell. as She's uh, campaigning to Ohioans as they go to the polls next week to elect their U.S. senator. And what she says there as well is they want to take your benefits away. You work. You work for them, Ohioans. No, nobody's saying that. Just, I don't know. But Gee. Democrats lie, and Democrat voters believe the lies. Well, that's sad, and it's unacceptable, no matter what. Mike McCormick, president of Mississippi Farm Bureau, on Middays Next in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Joining us now in the Element Well Studios, Mike McCormick, president of Mississippi Farm Bureau. Mike, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so you guys uh, just celebrated your 100th anniversary. That is quite the milestone. Congratulations. Well, thank you a lot. Uh, We had some uh, leadership in the farm community 100 years ago that decided that uh, uh, farming was Mississippi's number one industry, but they didn't have a seat at the table when it came to policies of the state of Mississippi. So uh, they came together and formed this wonderful organization, and I've got the uh, opportunity to serve uh, as its president during this uh, historic milestone. That's awesome. So you've got uh, an event coming up uh, the 1st of December. Tell us about that, Mike. Well, we uh, we normally have our convention, or we always have our convention, the first weekend of December every year. But uh, for this one, we wanted to make sure that it was uh, uh, com- commemorated in a way that uh, we can celebrate it with all of our Farm Bureau membership, uh, our board of directors uh, in all 82 counties, in a way that it uh, it can be uh, something that we can all be proud of and, and uh, will uh, remember for a long time. Uh, we're going to do it uh, the first weekend in December. It's going to start, actually, uh, the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association is joined in with our weekend, and they're going to do their convention starting on uh, Friday, December the 2nd, and uh, going into Saturday, December 3rd. And then we're going to pick up from there at lunch that day and and uh, move forward into Sunday. And, and Monday we'll have our business session. But there's a, a lot of uh, fun activities going on. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for, for people that can come in and help uh, fundraise for our scholarships that we give away, both for the Cattlemen's and uh, for Farm Bureau. So uh, I want to invite everybody uh, that's uh, in in agriculture and in uh, farming, maybe in a small way or a big way, to make sure that the first weekend in December is marked on their calendar because uh, the Jackson metro area is where you're going to want to be. Yeah. That that's awesome. So, uh, give us an update, Mike, on how the uh, industry is faring. The last time you were on, as I recall, you were deeply concerned about the drought conditions that we were experiencing. How, I mean, has that recovered somewhat? Are we we improved there? Well, I think what we were talking about is so at the time we were getting too much rain and the crops were oh, beginning to my bad. You're right. we're getting, beginning my bad. to rot in the field, but all of a sudden uh, things changed and uh, we went into a drought situation. But it, uh, while it uh, was is. Uh, kind of uh, uh, a challenge for us in the livestock industry trying to get our fall crops planted for our cattle through the wintertime. Uh, it's been a blessing for our row crop community because they were able to uh, get all of the crops out in a timely manner and uh, a lot of the uh, uh, crop damages uh, went away uh, as we uh, moved through harvest and uh, right now I think our farmers are, are all in great shape uh, row crop farmers for sure to, that uh, everything's in the grain bins or have been marketing except some cotton around the state and some pockets uh, in the northern part of the state. So farmers uh, were blessed with some good uh, um, harvest conditions this fall, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's generally been a very positive for us. But, uh, you know, we still have challenges. The Mississippi River is very low, and uh, we've got uh, challenges moving grain up and down the, the river. Uh, fuel coming up and down the river is, is a challenge. So the barges are moving, but just at half capacity and half tow, and uh, that's going to um, that's gonna challenge the supply chain uh, that we've uh, been struggling with for such a long time. Yeah, I'm sorry I got that backwards. I do recall that it was August, and it was like a monsoon in August, That's which right. is sort of unusual weather, and you were concerned about that. Uh, but it sounds like maybe that ended in time, and we recovered, and, and we're able to get in the fields when it dried up and get stuff out. But what about the price of diesel? 
It's a concern. It's going to be a, a big impact to our farmers. We were one of the, the heaviest users of, of diesel, and we're using a lot of it right now to get the, the ground ready for uh, next year's crops. And the, and the livestock people are using a lot right now, getting their fall ryegrass in. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's not where we need it to be because the price at the farm gate, what we're getting for our crops and our, our livestock, is not moving up. Somewhere in the supply chain, all of these price increases, the inflation are hitting the consumers, but it's not coming from the farmers. We're we're price takers, and we're not getting that. So, when you uh, up the price of diesel fuel that we're seeing, and even the fear of maybe not having enough diesel now, they're talking about a shortage, uh, uh, historic uh, low amounts in the in the pipelines. It's a it's a scary time. Yeah, uh, that was the next question I was going to ask you. Is that uh, I've seen a couple of interviews of late, not uh, from farmers in Mississippi, but in other states that are that are discussing the concerns they have about available of diesel just to to uh, operate their oper- their farming operations. You had the petroleum uh, group on yesterday, and I got a chance to talk to him, uh, Philip Chamley, when he was walking out, and he said, you know, some of his his dealers in the Delta, they got diesel to the farmers, but when they were taking, normally take a tanker load of 8,000 gallons, uh, maybe they could only get 1,000. Nobody ran out, uh, but those are, those are pretty scary times when you hmm. have things like that happen. Hmm. Is this a situation, Mike, where the the uh, agricultural industry works in some way uh, with the energy industry to address this issue. Do you guys talk and uh, share information? There was uh, there was a, a a meeting here in Jackson just this week. I think Congressman uh, Guest held it uh, on the exact same uh, thing of of um, national security interest for our farmers and uh, to uh, to make sure that we have enough fuel to do what we need to do. So we do stay involved with this nationally through the American Farm Bureau Federation, our our, uh, our parent company, our organization in Washington D.C., and it's definitely something we keep a close eye on. Sure. We got. Uh, we know that the legislature is in a special session today. Exciting. They're discussing a, a very large economic project that the governor announced a couple of days ago and, and then uh, ordered a special session for some business they got to take care of related to that. Uh, what's on, on your radar from uh, the industry, from the agricultural industry, going into the next session? What are you focused on there? Well, I think it'll be fairly a, a quiet, uh, hopefully a smoother session than we've seen over the last couple of years. I don't know that there's a lot on their radar. They've got some loose end things. They've got some difficult uh, uh, issues to, to tackle uh, that uh, Farm Bureau will watch, but it, it's not necessarily in our wheelhouse just for, for agriculture. So yeah. uh, we're, we're just going to be uh, uh, supporting uh, the ones that have supported us and, and looking out for uh, any bad legislation, or not bad legislation, but unintended intended consequences in legislation <laughs> Fair that, that uh that comes comes to pass so we uh we were very fortunate last year to uh, get uh some additional eminent domain uh protections and for our private property rights passed into state law we had it uh, farm bureau sponsored the the legislature or the, the initiative uh 10 or 12 years ago but we decided we needed to put it into state law last year so we'll watch that and make sure that uh uh, that uh, that that doesn't get uh, changed in any way, and uh, you know it's. Uh uh, we, uh, we we were able to uh, uh, pass a right to farm bill a couple of years ago that just protected our farmers uh, with uh, really with cities coming to the farm instead of the farms coming to the city. When the cities expand and they move out into the countryside, sometimes they uh, 
they don't want the farms there, but the, the law that we have says that you have the right to farm that if that's what you were doing and you meet all state codes, and we'll continue to watch that. It's a little bit of a issue going on to the east of us over here that we're watching very closely to make sure those farmers are uh, can continue to, to, to run their farming operations in the future if that's what they choose to do. What about the federal level, Mike? You got your eye on some stuff there? Well, uh, federally, uh, it's uh, farm bill time again. We've got to get something uh, reauthorized with that. It just depends on how the election goes, uh, on uh, how fast that moves and, and what that might look like. But uh, we've got our priorities in. It's already set. We've uh, talked to our legislators, uh, our uh, congressmen and senators here, about what our priorities are. And uh, nationally, through American Farm Bureau, they've done the same. So uh, we're, we'll be watching that to make sure uh, the important Parts of the farm bill that allows us to farm uh, continue uh, into the next farm bill. Do the do the farmers do these companies the operations? Do, do they report in any way their um, their financial performance uh, to your organization? Just, just curious to how they're doing this year. I mean, with cost inputs up pretty much across the board, it's got to have an impact on their bottom line. How are they doing? Well, we don't ask for that information, but it's certainly something that the economists look at. And yeah. I think uh, overall the, uh, um, the 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 financials of uh, of the row crop industries are are still pretty strong. Um, it's uh, certainly the inputs uh, that we're putting in there is cut into the profit margins, uh, but uh, we're we're being able to raise some pretty good crops and and uh, farm our way out of it. The livestock industry, though, is is a totally different story. It's uh, it's being really challenged right now, and uh, hmm. we're we're losing livestock producers across the southeast at a at a pretty pr- rapid uh, pace. It's very concerning to me because I, I as one myself, it, it's hard to uh, figure out how to financially continue what we. Do. It's it's not a lot of profit in it. Wow, yeah, that's that's not good. It, it uh, we got just a couple seconds. What's going on there, real quick? That's causing them to exit the business. It, they're just not enough money coming down. The inputs is uh, is too high for what we're getting for our cattle. I got you, Mike. Congratulations on a hundred years, and appreciate you coming in. And and again, the event December second. Uh, through the fourth. That's correct. Yeah. I want everybody. I want to invite everybody. You don't have to be a Farm Bureau member. If you're involved with agriculture anyway, please put it on your calendar. It's going to be a lot of fun. Trade show, uh, concerts, uh, livestock shows. Everyone. It's going to be family friendly. It's going to want to be there. Y'all come. MSFB100.org is the site where you can see all the details. Thanks for coming in, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll step aside for a break right here. We're coming back in the Element Well Studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Back in the Element Well Studio, Super Talk Mississippi, coming up at 11.05 today. It's Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Mississippi host of Coast View and Super Talk Outdoors. That's coming up at 11.05. We're going to be talking about the Twitter saga. 
on the C Spire text line. This is from the 813. That's Florida, isn't it? I believe so. Area code. We were talking about, uh, before we had Mike on, and, and congratulations to Mississippi Farm Bureau. Mike does a great job running that organization as well. He's incredibly well-versed on all things about the agriculture industry, understands the economics and the finance uh, aspects of that as well. So good to have him in that role. Um, we were talking about the Democrats really pulling out all the stops in their campaigning and hammering their audiences on this idea that Republicans want to end Social Security and Medicare. I'll reiterate my statement. Democrats lie, and Democrat voters believe the lie. And it's not true. So on the ceasefire text line, you need to take a look at Senator Rick Scott's plan to do just that, end Social Security and Medicare as it currently exists. I have. I've read the plan. I read the plan the day he announced it. I read it. And I, I responded, I have, and that's a distortion that he wants to end it. And he said, well, this I don't know, this could be a she. I don't know who, the, who this person is. They didn't identify themselves. And that's perfectly fine. We don't require that here to text. By the way, 601-879-4395. That is the ceasefire text line. Lying by omission is still lying. You mean like what Joe Biden and the Democrats are saying, which is that Republicans want to end Social Security and Medicare. That's a lie. And so he says, actually, Gerard Scott's plan would make Medicare and Social Security subject to an annual reauthorization appropriation. You are presenting your audience a very cherry-picked view, and that is tantamount to lying. Again, for someone so concerned about others lying, you don't seem to have a problem presenting partial misleading facts. Well, let me clarify, every now and then I have to do this. This is an opinion show. We express our opinion here. Secondly, I'm not lying. You are. It's every five years, not every year. And all he simply says is, hey, every single federal program needs to be considered for reauthorization every five years. If it's good enough to keep, we'll reauthorize it. Makes sense to me. Now, presently, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and debt interest comprise 70% of federal spending. That's just a fact. If you think I'm lying, go look it up yourself. That information is widely available through numerous government sites and sources, like the Department of Treasury. We'll start with that one. So, presently, those programs are on autopilot. We've been through this before. They're considered so-called mandatory spending, and they are structured in such a way that they really can't be altered. They can't be modified without law. And what I mean by that is law that requires 60 votes in the U.S. Senate, unless the Senate votes to eliminate the filibuster. In which case, you'd have a, a watershed event of all kinds of crazy stuff with Democrats in control, such as statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico, such as federal, uh, federalizing elections. States would not be involved in it anymore. But you could also work around Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Presently, this may come as a shock to a lot of people, 
That's 70% of our spending that Congress never even votes on. They don't even vote on it. When they pass these budget continuing resolutions, omnibus budgets, that's just the discretionary part of spending, which is about 30% of it. They never touch the mandatory part. And all Rick Scott's saying is, hey, these programs, their trust funds are going to be fully depleted if we don't act. And maybe what we should do and some of these other welfare programs, by the way, which are also included in that mandatory batch of spending, maybe the sun should set on those, and we should revisit those. And if they're effective, and they're good enough to, to keep and to continue to fund, should be a no-brainer. So let's be realistic here. In five years, let's suppose this plan went into place, and in five years, the requirement was put into motion that the Congress would have to vote to continue Social Security and Medicare. The president would have to sign off on it. Is there a possibility that that would fail? I don't think so. So it's disingenuous to say, well, Rick Scott just wants to end those programs. No. And in fact, he's actually said recently, no one that I know of wants to sunset Medicare or Social Security. But what we're doing now, and he's absolutely right, is we don't even talk about it. It's like in your personal household, you're overdrafting into some line of credit that you have that covers your overdraft. And you're just continuously consuming that line. And then all of a sudden, you're going to wake up and say, uh-oh, I ain't got no money. I've maxed out my line. My account's overdrawn. I can't function, can't write checks, can't disperse. That's what we're headed for here with these programs. So just to call it attention to it and put it on the table to talk about, which no doubt is a political liability, as evidenced by the text we got here this morning, Rhino. Just which again, I'll reiterate, Democrats lie and Democrat voters believe the lies. Uh, well, that's why we can't solve any problems. And so all we're trying to do here, and I, and I welcome, if I'm saying anything wrong here, let me know. As far as the details here, I, I'll happily admit I'm wrong about it. But this, this kind of high level, yeah, he wants to just end Social Security and Medicare, that's just false, patently false. But the Democrat voters eat it up. It's unbelievable. Well, you just heard Randy Weigarten, right? Banging, banging her fist up and down with that chest like she was jumping up there on the podium. And, and, try, and again, it's just feed the lies best you can to get them to vote a certain way. And unfortunately, most people won't research that on their own. They won't do their own homework. Oh, Randy Weigarten said it. Must be the truth. Because she's a good Democrat like me. I gotta vote that way. Can't vote for JD Vance, the Republican candidate in Ohio. He's gonna end Social Security and Medicare. It's not true. But we also have to face reality. Programs are going broke. They're just they are. It's bad economics. I'm over here laughing because I just scrolled up and looked at the message this person sent before starting the argument with us. And I quote, 
there's little to no transparency on this deal, and it's going to be rushed through and rubber-stamped. So out of one side of his mouth, he's arguing against legislative bodies rubber-stamping something and just rushing through it. And on the other hand, he's arguing that, no, 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 don't make the overpaid, underperforming pipsqueaks and suits in Congress do their job. (laughs) Oh, I see that now. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, anyhow, enough on that rant. I, I just... Nobody wants to end Social Security and Medicare. Were they well-conceived programs from a from an economic and financial perspective? Not really, as evidenced by their current plight. Yeah, so you got Medicare is on track to deplete the trust fund by 28, and Social Security 35, 2035. And all that really means, it doesn't mean payments stop, doesn't mean benefits stop. It just means that without the trust fund, you don't, it's like a savings account. So remember, we've explained this, both of those programs operate on a pay-as-you-go basis. People are working, they pay in. People are retired, they, they get out. The amounts being paid in today by workers are funding the benefits that are going out. They're not funding their future retirement, they're funding current benefits. It's pay-as-you-go. That's the way it was designed. And the, the, the idea was, the vision was, you'd have more people working than retired and drawing benefits, and the more people working, contributing, you'd build up this tidy sum in a trust fund, and you'd have a cushion for the eventual situation where you may have more going out than coming in. Well, now, at the rate that's being tapped to make ends meet, it's scheduled to run out of money. It's just simple as that. So putting it, putting those programs on the forefront to discuss how do we avoid this sounds like the prudent thing to do. But yet the Democrats just twist it around for political gain. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. We thank you so much for joining us today. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And don't forget, Middays and Sports Talk headed to Starkville this coming Friday. We'll Stark be, Vegas. Yep, in downtown Starkville. We'll be talking everything Starkville and Mississippi's college town. Looking forward to that. Uh, don't forget tomorrow I'll step aside from the mic. Headed up to uh, Oxford later on this afternoon. Looking forward to the uh, first, I believe, inaugural Family Business Symposium sponsored by the Ole Miss School of Business. And very honored to be 
uh, asked to deliver a keynote speech along with um, Lee Lampton, of a uh, legendary business person and fantastic Mississippi-based biz- business, a conglomerate, honestly. Uh, he'll be talking, as well as uh, will head baseball coach Mike Bianco. So looking forward to that. And then they're going to have some panel discussions for the attendees after that, talking about things they need to be aware of with respect to uh, family businesses. So that ought to be cool. Um, what do you think? Next week's outcome will be, says Big T from Coffeeville on the ceasefire text line. Uh, you know, I feel like I, I kind of waffle every day as we get new polling numbers and just kind of see interviews with voters. I'm still optimistic that the balance of power in the House is going to go in favor of Republicans by, I'm going to say, 15 to 25 seats. And I know that's a big gap, but... Gosh, there are just so many now that are in play that you wouldn't have thought would be in play, which is good. So I, I think that's where it ends up, 15 to 25 seat advantage in the House. The Senate, gosh, that's a tough one. Yesterday we discussed the amount of money being poured into these races. If you didn't catch that, folks, the candidate with the biggest haul is uh, Raphael Warnock, in the state of Georgia in the Senate race, Democrat incumbent, $123 million just for him. Now, a couple of years ago, the Florida Senate race with Senator Rick Scott and then uh, the Texas Senate race with uh, um, shoot, Cruz and Beto. Cruz and Beto, right. Couldn't remember who his opponent was. Beto, of course, yeah. What What is... Um, Carl Rove calling Francis says that's yeah, real. Robert Francis Robert O'Rourke. Francis O'Rourke. Anyhow, both of those were in the hundred and twenty million dollar total between both candidates. And in this situation, we got hundred twenty million coming uh, out of one candidate, and then Herschel Walker is forty seven million. Last report I saw. So you've got hundred and seventy million dollars in a Senate race. Hundred seventy million between the two candidates. Now, Georgia, under Georgia law, a candidate, even in a general election, must receive 50% plus one of the vote tally to win. Uh, It's not like some states in general elections where whoever gets the most at that point wins. So there is a libertarian candidate on the ballot in Georgia that is sure to peel off some votes. Will it be enough such that neither of the other two candidates receives 50% plus one? Not sure. Don't know at this point. But the, the, the real takeaway here is that, once again, we may be waiting for a couple of months to know the outcome of that particular race. And as you guys recall, back in 2020, even though Joe Biden was elected president, declared elected president a few days after the, uh, the vote, we didn't know the outcome of the Senate because that one seat hung in the balance, the, the Georgia seat. And I want to say it was like February or so when they had the runoffs. Does that sound right to you? Like February time frame. Well, it was like mid to late January, but yeah, it was after the new year. Yeah, it was, it was, was it the same year. It was in uh, uh, 21, right? So 
the same situation could be setting up again. And that would be nerve-wracking, of course. But so, you got that big one, uh, and then you got Pennsylvania. And that one is just mind-boggling to me, honestly. I don't, I can't fathom how that's even close. But it is, if you believe the polls. Where I think the Republicans are looking good to flip a seat still is in Nevada. Laxalt versus Cortez Masto. He's up three or four points. Arizona's now a toss-up. That's the other one in play. New Hampshire, I'd put that behind those. The Democrat incumbent. Hassan's still up by three points or so. But those are kind of the main Senate races in place. So I think we have a, a, a good chance, almost an assured, of, of flipping the House 15, 25 seats. It's going to be within one or two seats in the Senate. Coming right back after the news with Ricky Matthews. Stay with us. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi Live from the Element Well Studios on this hump day. Joining us now, Ricky Matthews, host of Coast View and Super Talk Mississippi Outdoors. Ricky, good to see you. Hey, Gerard. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. So uh, it is my understanding that you have been following this continuing saga of Twitter and what a saga it is. I'll start by saying, strictly from a business financial perspective, I think uh, I think that old Elon bought him a bill of goods here. I don't think it was a very wise investment. But that's a different matter than what we're seeing play out out in the Twitterverse, <laughs> out in the world of media, where we've got celebrities leaving Twitter, Right, and now we uh, there's suggestions there might be a paid subscription to get the little blue check mark. Give us an update. What the heck's going on? Well, actually, if we had time, we'll come back to the business side of it. Okay. I think it's really fascinating. Okay. Yeah, he says it's not about economics, but when you think about how he made the deal work, it's definitely about economics. It has to be about economics. But, sure. You know, I'm actually thrilled that we're having this conversation. I have spent many shows. And, uh, you know, a career, I was a publisher of newspapers and newspaper websites, and I was involved in some major digital efforts later in my career. And, uh, I, I th- you know, I watched the rise of social media, the use of artificial intelligence, all that was happening around moderating content. And I had serious concerns about it. And I think essentially what, what Elon Musk is going to do is create a, is literally a global conversation about social media companies and how they do their work. And I think only good can come from that. So let me, if you don't mind, I'll take a few minutes and just kind of a lay sure. a foundation for Please. the conversation. Sound yes. good? Well, of course, we all know Elon Musk, smart guy, great entrepreneur, SpaceX, the boring company, Neuralink, you know, Tesla. We know all about that. Um, at the end of the day, I think what's what as a publisher, one of the things we did is we spent a lot of money on moderation, on, on curating news and information and editorial content 
it cost a lot of money to do that. As newspapers were hit by what I call the digital tsunami, uh, they had to join all the other uh, media companies and uh, especially social media and what I refer to as sort of a, um, uh, the Wild West of, uh, of misinformation and fake news and, and especially bias news. I mean, they, a lot of focus on bias because at the end of the day, bias is what where all these debates are coming from as it relates to Elon Musk. But um, as social media companies started to get cranked up and they got smarter, they also got extremely careless. And moderating was only a necessary evil. That wasn't their goal. Content wasn't their goal. Content was a means to an end. Their goal was making billions of dollars. And they were making billions of dollars on the back of people all across this nation, really, and around the world as we engage in all these polarized discussions. The more engagement that happened on their website, the more money they made, and they understood that. Um, but at the end of the day, they couldn't afford, they would never be able to afford to put the kind of moderation in place that newspapers, for example, had in place. So they, they built you know, a small cadre of human capital, but really, at the end of the day, it's all being done with technology, artificial intelligence. Yes. And as you know well, artificial intelligence is all about machine learning. And they, they had to build rules into that artificial intelligence. I mean, think about think about what that did to really kind of make it full of holes because it's only going to be as good as the rules you put in it. 500 million tweets a day. 500 million tweets a day. That's 200 billion tweets a year. <laughs> there is literally no way they can do human human capital to, to do that. But at the end of the day, what the, we get into a discussion about moderation, and we can go into a deep discussion about it, but what I think Elon knows and, and his notion of sort of opening up the kimono and letting people see the code, making it open source so they can see that, it scares the heck out of, out of the left because yeah. the left knows that what's built into these rules by people from the left are rules that, that, that give preference to sort of left and liberal thinking and do absolutely diminish conservative voices. But let me, let me, let me be clear that traditional media did exactly the same thing. I mean, TV, radio, uh, newspapers, they, they were also guided by leaders that had political agendas and, and whatever. But the, but the reality of the traditional world we came from is that fragmentation sort of took care of that for us. You know, no one media could be the dominant. Today, you have five companies that literally control social media from around the world. And, and, do you, and what the biggest concern is, do you want to put that much power in, in the hands of people like Elon Musk and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, that's, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's right. what this discussion's about. And I think what we're gonna learn as a result of opening up that kimono is going to really change social media forever. That's really, it's not about whether Trump's gonna get back on the platform or not. It's them knowing that what's built into these rules is a bias against conservative voices, and I'm terribly convinced about that. Well, I know you have obviously extensive experience in the media world, but uh, the, the thing that comes to mind is, Moderating content, let's say for a newspaper, even through its digital outlets and so forth, that's a little different than 500 million tweets a day across the world. I mean, that the scale of that just requires a completely different approach, and that's where you've got to rely on AI. You couldn't economics don't allow you to go hire the army of people that would have to review 500 million tweets. Can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and even if you did that, even if you did that, as I pointed out, you would still have bias oh, because sure. human beings would still be involved. Sure, but there, but you know the thing is, there's no way you can build, there's no way you can build an infrastructure even around AI and rules around AI that's gonna that's gonna fit everything. And 
you know, I, I give you a quick example. In Facebook, for example, was so focused on America, building rules that work in America, that they really kind of forgot what was happening in other countries. And, and people should go search just Myanmar and Ethiopia and see what happened there, that they're usually literally using the platform uh, to do incredibly evil things, and people's lives have been changed forever as a yep. result of it. And, you know, there, it's a, it, the, the, the fact is that democracies and societies have been affected all around the world. And, you, again, you'll know, again, it's just too much, too many tweets, too many posts, too much information to, to clear. And uh, so they have to have artificial intelligence to do it. But there are rules that are built into artificial intelligence. And we're about to see yeah. when he opens up that kimono and open sources it, what that's all about. And it's driving people insane that he would have the ability to do that. Yeah. And even in terms of machine learning, that still that, that uh, stems from the original rules that are built. So the, the machines get smarter uh, as they gain experience, if you will, as content flows through. But they're still relying on the original rule set to, to apply yeah. uh, the moderation. Well, they they want to say they want to say that Elon's goal is to open up moderation so that's the wild west, you know, without without essentially moderation. But you and I both know that's impossible we'll because do it. you know there is free speech in this world, but there is in, in the in the U.S. especially. Uh, but there are rules behind what can be said and what can't be said. And, you know, just to give people an idea, I mean, things about fraud or child pornography or uh, speech integral to illegal conduct, speech that incites imminent lawless action. I, mean, I could just go on and on. Uh, yeah. the issues around intellectual capital. Yep. You know, uh, it, it, because of that, and then you add to that, you know, you, I mentioned Myanmar and Ethiopia, but you think about the rules that exist around the world. The complexities of that in terms of the artificial intelligence and how that's going to play out and where the moderation works, there's literally no way to just open it up. And, yeah. and then, they, then you get into not just the, the political bias, but you get into sort of the ethical and moral responsibilities of all of that. So he's trying to, uh, he's trying to open up a discussion about how can we have an equal and fair discussion within the, within the guise of free speech within the law. I mean, he points that out that the law, the, the, the law that exists in the land that, that that the Twitter uh, plays out, he's going to have to follow that. So, it, again, it's super complicated. Yeah, I mean, it always occurs to me, uh, Ricky, that, you know, how different people view uh, content. So one person's free speech is another person's hate speech, violence, inappropriate language, right? And, yeah. and so yeah. there's how do you strike the happy medium there and the balance? Well, you know, Gerard, when I was uh, in my latter, latter part of my media career, I was involved in some really, really substantial change efforts in the digital realm. And it involved, you know, cultural change and employees were infected. And it was, you know, it's a tough, a lot of tough decisions with the thought of how do we f find a business model that will enable local news to, to have a chance to make it. And uh, what I learned being on Twitter is that when you're a CEO leading an effort like that, it's incredibly negative. I mean, it is, dude, it is, it, when it's aimed at you, it's tough. And uh, I eventually just got off Twitter completely because it's just such a negative platform. But man, it is. I mean, Elon Musk refers to it as the digital town square for the world, and it has become that. Mm. And so how do we, how do we make it, how do we make it operate in a way that's going to, 
that's going to give voices uh, an equal opportunity to be heard. And that's what he's trying to do. Yeah, he issued a statement last night that uh, he, he's getting involved in how the platform will handle election integrity, content moderation, et cetera, and just to stay tuned for those rules to be released. But fast, it's fascinating. Uh, you want to come back after the break and talk about the financial aspect of this thing? I think I'd love to. Yeah, so that's super dynamic. Yep. Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Mississippi host, host of Coast View and Super Talk Outdoors, is our guest. We're coming back in the Element Well Studios after the break. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. us into this segment here on Middays. Our guest is Ricky Matthews, of course, host at Super Talk, host of the Coast View in Super Talk Mississippi Outdoors, which airs every Monday at noon. So, Ricky, we were talking about uh, Twitter and the Twitter saga, as I'm referring to it. So, I don't think it was a very good deal financially, honestly. Twitter has uh, not ever really performed up to expectations from a financial perspective. It's not the greatest business model uh, when you take a look at it. And and recently we saw Meta release their earnings last week, and they plummeted. They're not doing well. Uh, unfortunately, as you well know, being in the industry, usually advertising's top of the list when people start cutting back. It's probably the wrong time, honestly, to cut advertising because you need you need to stand out more when folks are more selective and have sort of less disposable income during tougher economic times. But nonetheless, that seems to be top of the chopping block. And I think a lot of companies are now saying, I'm not sure if I'm getting my value from these, these social media platforms and then you got some companies that are coming out and saying, well, I just object to Elon Musk being at the helm, therefore I'm not going to advertise anymore. I mean, I've seen some of that as well. Your thoughts about all this? Well, GM was one of those companies. I was really yeah. surprised that a major company like GM would weigh in too early in the process. I mean, they kind of got bought into this, uh, this developing narrative around Elon Musk um, I actually think he has a chance to do it. Um, and, you know, he says, as we, we discussed before we went to break, that he's not concerned about the, the economic side of it. But, man, let's, let's look at the deal for a second. You got a $44 billion uh, arrangement here. And, you know, he's the richest man in the world, but he didn't just take that much money out of his pocket to make it work. Right. You got $12.5 billion that came from banks. Yeah. Debt. And analysts suggest that about a billion dollars a year is what it's going to take to service that debt. Think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you, got, you got venture capital funds. You know, you got equity investors that, that have put in, in about $7.1 billion in that. And that actually will create some pressure in the future to uh, to go public again, but you know what? Here's what I think, though. I, I don't think that he would have been able to raise that kind of capital if there wasn't inherent in some 
and 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 their trust of Elon Musk to to do something no one's ever been willing to do. I, I think by opening the kimono. And, and I think we'll get beyond all these discussions around right versus left. And I think we're going to we're going to actually see with our own eyes uh, things that are going to change other social media companies. Hmm. He has he almost immediately reordered the they had an, a, a short video effort like like what you see in TikTok, for example, that had been canned. He's ordered it to be cranked back up immediately. So I think there's probably going to be some subsets around this. So not only is he going to ultimately bring more people into it. I think he's got some thoughts around subscription models. Subscription models actually have worked well for companies like the New York Times and Washington Post. Really, that's what saved them, frankly. So I think a mix of advertising and that will be important. Um, they're going to be they're going to probably end up getting very sophisticated about their targeting and how they do targeting because they're capturing so much data. You and I both know the massive amount of data that they're using really creates an opportunity for them. Um, they may actually pull it together. And they're going to bring, of course, the board's gone. They're going to be bringing a new board in, those with financial stakes, people who are close to Elon, sure. who knows how Elon thinks. And uh, they'll develop a strategy, and they'll get moving forward. They, there won't be a lot of grass growing on this situation. They're going to they're move rapidly, and uh, they'll, they'll figure out the moderating piece. The moderating piece to me is a is a uh, sort of the, the sub story here around the business model something that's got to be dealt with is what's creating all the noise but at the end of the day the opportunity to create i mean have an incredibly engaged platform that's going to be super valuable to to advertisers with some embedded subscription model somewhere in that get and the spin off of things like video etc they're going to have a real opportunity it, it, it will you know he's going to bring the same kind of innovation that he brought to space and you know, just think about you know what that means—commercial space flight. I, I just think it's going to be, and, and what he's the work he's doing in Neuralink is incredible. It is incredible, and it, and it will have far-reaching you know, opportunities to deal with issues like blindness and MS, and God only knows what else. Yeah. Um, he's a smart guy, and I don't—I really don't—I uh, don't—I don't, I don't uh, count him out at all. I think he has a strong sense of what he wants to do, and we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, if there's anybody that could figure out a way to really monetize and, and maximize the profit model, it'd be him. Uh, he's, he's pretty good at that. Yeah. He's very innovative, and to a great extent, in all of these endeavors, he's just on the ground floor. And I believe he's yeah. one of these people that he's a prolific inventor, an innovator, a visionary. He thinks far different than we mortals do. And he's, he's coming up with these things that maybe in, at the outset don't produce a whole lot of cash flow and profit, but something is going to hit. That's what investors are counting on. Something's going to hit. I, I think they are. You know, and what, this is interesting because, you know, you and I come from similar places. I've had the opportunity to be CEO of a, of a subsidiary of a public company and a private company. And you know there's advantages of a private company. You still have financial stakeholders, but you don't have – this, this quarterly reporting and the same kind of, you know, public notices that you have to have within a public company. Right. And that's going to play to his favor. Um, I, I really believe that the innovation that he brings to the table is going to be, it's going to be very important to this overall conversation. He would not have been able to raise, you know, I mean, you're talking about nearly $20 billion. He had, man, these are not dumb people that are engaged right. in that. And, and by the way, one of the, if you, and we won't even get into this, but Web3 
and the applications of Web three within the context of this is vi is really gigantic. No doubt. And um, and how all that fits together, and, and of course, if you and I were to begin to get in a conversation about that, we would we <laughs> we would cause people's eyes to glaze over. But man, that's where the future is. No doubt. And how he how he innovates in that in that realm is going to he may actually he may get there quicker than than Facebook. Um, you know, Facebook would be interesting to watch them. You mentioned them at the beginning. They put so much focus on the future that they forgot about today. And, uh, and they've invested billions of dollars in the future, and it's really affected their performance tactically. And um, I think they've, they've really kind of lost sight of what ball matters most right now. Yeah. I think Elon knows what matters now and knows what matters in the future. But I could be wrong about that. I'm just betting that based on what I watch in Tesla, the, the attention to detail there, and then SpaceX, I mean, what, those are two really good companies to look at. It. His leadership, his visionary leadership, it made a difference. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, I think you're spot on there. Uh, Zuckerberg kind of took his eye off the ball and, and wasn't uh, tending to the business of today and got all wrapped up and enthused about uh, something in the future. But he didn't take care of today's cash flow. And if you don't take care yeah. of today's cash flow and you start focusing on making investments for the future – and you don't have, you know, really complete confidence that the existing level of cash flow continues, that that just ends up hurting you financially. And that's exactly what happened. The market punished them for this. Punished 24%, yeah. right, last it, week in one yeah, day no, it's, after it's, they it's released it's dramatic. It's, and you read the analysts' reports on that, and that's ex literally the basis of their other criticisms that they lost, you know, they took their eye off the ball. It's such a big company, man. I mean, they just got... There's so many moving parts, and Twitter. You know, in the scheme of things, Twitter only has 7,500 employees. I mean, yeah. that. I mean, that, it's that's a big small. company, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's going to be what's going to be interesting, and you know this. You know, I've had the opportunity to to be involved in company purchases, and mergers, and acquisition, and starting new companies from scratch. When you go into a company, uh, because it's a private company, and because a lot of their stock, a lot of their compensation is based on stock options, they're going to have to they're going to have to identify who their key people are. And they're going to have to find something that works for them that's competitive in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Now, don't believe me. Even though they may be laying off people, they are really already focused on who do they need to retain, who needs to be part of the future. No doubt. And uh, so there's going to be this underlying dynamic about how do they keep sort of this intellectual capacity that exists in the company today intact. Because that's going to be really important. That was not housed in the, in the key people that he let go. But it is inside that organization. And it's going to be fun to watch. And, and uh, another point we should uh, just touch on briefly is we got an election cycle coming up, right? In two years, a presidential election. I think a lot of people would say they were heavily influenced by social media, in particular Twitter, when it comes to how they cast their vote. And uh, apparently Elon is considering how he's going to deal with that content. Got just a couple seconds here. Your thoughts about that? Well, I, th I think that, that from an advertising point of view and from a moderation point of view, if you had to put on top of the list the first thing he needs to deal with, it has to be that. I agree. And, and the political discourse that happens in America around that leading up to the election. You cannot have social media giants being a major factor in an election. You just can't. Or government interfering and, in some cases, uh, instructing and approving or disapproving content. I don't think that'll happen under Elon. The FBI-Zuckerberg connection is amazing that that actually happened. It's actually, absolutely the truth, and it's crazy. Ricky, thanks so much for joining us. That's a really good discussion, great insight. We'll be watching it and probably talk some more about that. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks. You bet. Keep up the great work, my friend.
Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Mississippi host. He's the host of Coast View and Super Talk Outdoors. We're in the Element Well Studios. We're stepping aside and coming right back. I feel good. Talk.fm. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. During National Family Caregivers Month, be sure to visit aarp.org/ms or the AARP Mississippi Facebook page to find info and resources to help you on your caregiving journey. So, on the ceasefire text line. Jerry in Waynesboro says, Biden, when they talk about inflation, you know inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of the war in Iraq. Yeah, we, we, uh, we saw that, Jerry. Uh, he mistakenly said Iraq instead of Ukraine, just one of a number of gaffes in his speech yesterday that have been highlighted. Even the New York Times called him out on it. So it's definitely a lot of problem. Uh, let's see. David from Bruce, get rid of a lot of government people. We would have plenty of money for Medicare and Social Security. I wish that were the case, David, but it's, it's not. Uh, those programs are monumental and gigantic. And, in fact, someone, yeah, discussed. So, let's see. Here we go on the 662. Were Social Security and Medicare used as government slush funds during periods of excess revenues? Question mark. Had those excess funds been invested, would the systems have currently uh, have been currently solvent with the proceeds generated? They actually were invested. It's a good question. And so, by law, uh, um, surpluses generated by the programs are invested in what are called S bonds, special government issued bonds. The Treasury issues uh, those bonds. The Department of Treasury the funds are used and become part of the general fund, but they're paid back every single dime. Uh, since the federal government has been tapping the surplus in the form of a loan, every single dime has been repaid back, repaid with interest. In fact, it is the only investment the Social Security and Medicare can make is in those special bonds. They, they're not allowed to invest in equities or any sort of risky securities. They literally loan it to the federal government, the funds do who then pays them interest, and then the principal is redeemed based on the term of those bonds. Every single dime has been repaid, and all the interest has been repaid. And if should there ever be a default, by the way, such that the U.S. federal government is not does not make those payments, those interest and principal payments, the entire global economy would collapse. Because that would mean that the full faith and confidence of the U.S. government no longer stands. So the, I know there's a widely held perception out there that, that the money flowing into Social Security and Medicare goes to the trust fund and was just, quote, stolen. And 
uh, transferred out of those funds and then just flowed into the general fund and is lost. And that's absolutely not true. It's always been in the form of a loan. And in fact, if you look at our federal debt, $31 trillion, the party who owns the most of that debt is Social Security, $2.6 trillion. A lot of folks think it's China. It's not true. China, actually, all, all debt held by foreign nations of the $31 trillion, it's about seven. China owns about one of that. Japan has more than any other nation. Folks find that surprising. That's $1.2 trillion. By the way, it's all information's all widely available in the U.S. Treasury uh, sites and documents. So, anyhow... It's a, it, it's just a, it's a defined benefit program, which basically means it doesn't matter how much you paid in and how long you live, you get benefits until you die. And it, it's just economics don't work because it relies on a whole lot of people working and fewer people drawing benefits out. And when the program was created, that was about 100 to 1 workers to beneficiaries. And through the years, that's dwindled down to under 2 to 1. Under 2 to 1. We live longer. Got fewer young people working, paying into the system, and that's what's putting all the pressure uh, on those funds. Anyhow, so the taxpayers pay interest on the S bonds. Uh, they do. That is by law. It is a it is a nominal rate of interest, and uh, that is absolutely the case. That is that is where Social Security invests. That's the way it works. I mean, just like the taxpayers pay interest on all the other debt that we hold, $31 trillion of it, a lot of which is held by the Federal Reserve, and we pay them uh, for those bonds that they hold. Uh, so, yeah, that's the way the program works. Let's see here. What are you saying here, Thomas? Uh, wow. You sent me a book today. Uh, let's see if I can find where you started talking to us here. I know you were discussing some stuff on the Gallo Show. Let's see. You said Republicans are ahead in the polls and Trump has been quiet. Will his rally Thursday help or hurt Republicans? I don't know. I think, where's he going? Arizona? Seems like where he's headed. I know he's he's got a, a uh, fairly busy few days coming up in advance of the election, just like the Democrats do with Biden and Obama. They brought out the rock star, Barack Obama, on content moderation. Why do so many people want opposing views silenced? The last thing I want to do is find myself in an echo chamber and let confirmation bias become more valuable to me than the facts of truth. Yeah, Tom says Arizona, Pennsylvania. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't have an issue with... Uh, multiple viewpoints. I'm for an open forum, but I think Ricky's right. You start running into issues when it comes to moderation, such as as violence. You know, you get into all sorts of graphic images and videos that are inappropriate and um, other illegal activity being conducted on the platform. That's certainly more important than just somebody saying they don't like some politician. Who cares? I agree with you in that respect. Speaking of which, Rob Reiner tweets about 8,000 times a day, <laughs> does he not? And, and every tweet's the same. Trump is bad fascism. <laughs> That's what every tweet says. Because Meathead is an idiot. <laughs> it's just unbelievable how he just does this. 
Uh, I'm looking for one I caught yesterday. Every single day, it's just fascism. It, gets, it just gets exhausting after a while that everything is just reduced down to that. Voting for Republicans is voting for fascism. Here we go. This was, this was yesterday. Donald Trump has been spreading the big lie for two years. The violent assault on Paul Pelosi and the attempt to murder Speaker Pelosi is directly related to that lie. Donald Trump is 100% responsible for this in January 6th. He must be indicted and never be allowed to hold office. That's old meathead. Uh, and it, it's just a series of tweets similar to that on a rather continuous basis, honestly. It's, she just, he doesn't have any credibility. Larry Mize, do you think a red tidal wave is coming or not? Well, define red tidal wave, Larry, and, I, and I'm not trying to be flippant about it. it. I don't. I think that's a subjective description. Uh, again, I think the chances of a significant change in the balance of power in, in the House, and I would consider 15, 20, 25 seats, as I'm estimating in that range, to be uh, significant. I don't know it will rise to the level that we saw in 10, 2010, what Barack Obama described as a shellacking, I think that was 66 seats, as I recall. So I don't know if we'll see quite that many. I'm thinking 30, in the 30 to 35 range, which would put the balance of power in that 20 or so uh, neighborhood. I do think that, and I, I am encouraged that we're seeing some seats that are reliably blue, in reliably blue districts that are competitive at a minimum, like Connecticut. I've seen some reports on that. I'd like to see Orange County, California. It looks good that it's kind of gone blue somewhat. It looks good that it's going to return red. I think you'll see a good number of the flip seats occur in that area. So I think that's good. It's the Senate. And, and I think it's fair to say that folks are more likely that folks are more likely to vote for party at, uh, for house members for house elections. I feel like they're they're more likely focused on the individual and it may be because the Senate race is dragging so much money and of course it's statewide they're way more visible they get national attention they have debates that are typically nationally televised or streamed at least. And I, I just think they get more exposure in human nature such, such that it is. I think it just dictates that you, you tend as a voter to focus more on the individual and the personality than you do the even the policies in the party. And I believe that's why the Senate is so close. I, I, you know, you got Herschel who's doing a whole lot better, honestly, in my view. I think he's... Uh, his public speaking has improved dramatically. Warnock's pretty effective orator. He just is. And he's got a lot of following as a result. The Oz, who doesn't exactly blow me away as an attractive candidate, but good grief compared to Fetterman. That's a, just a head-scratcher I can't figure out. But Laxalt in Nevada is just superior personality, in my view, to Cortez Masto. Coming right back in the Element Wealth Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. (laughs) 
Killing time. Mike in Gulfport says on the ceasefire tax line, I believe he will go down as one of the greatest minds of this century. Give him time and he will get Twitter twittering, referring to Elon Musk, of course. I think there's no question, Mike. I agree with you. He is a prolific inventor. He's a visionary. He's got he's got gifts that uh, normal mortals do not. It's fantastic. And he's creating value for society. And he's Getting wealthy doing it. That's the way it ought to work. And he's inadvertently providing entertainment for loads of people laughing at the journalists who are losing their minds about verification. They sure are. They absolutely are. And and low-income Twitter users won't be able to afford $8. A- <laughs> they don't have to pay. You don't have to pay to use Twitter. You just pay to be verified. Well, because they believe, like they do on so many other things in our society, that Twitter is a human right, of course, right? Right. You have the right to Twitter. Oh, man. Uh, on the ceasefire text line, oh, and if you want a good look, a good laugh, pardon me, look at the Real Clear Politics Senate projection for this year. They are forecasting 54 seats. Bold. I agree. And uh, earlier tweeted, my guess is, uh, pardon me, sent us a message. You got Twitter on the mind. Uh, my guess is 52. Changes on how Pennsylvania falls because I think Nevada flips in Georgia. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, if Pennsylvania is won by Mehmet Oz and Nevada and Georgia would be net gains flips, you're right. It would sit at 52. I doubt New Hampshire flips, but polling yesterday was encouraging. Again, I, I, I hear you. And I, that's where I am. I don't think in, it ends up going to the Republican candidate, but the fact that it's close is encouraging. Just like out in Washington, Tiffany Smiley, I've talked about that one before, against Debbie Downer, Patty Murray. It's pretty close out there. Miss shocking. That, that would be... I'd have, I'd have to stand up here on the super top desk here in the set, in the studio, and dance around if she wins that deal. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just checked in Real Clear Politics. Their latest projection has... Nevada, New Hampshire, Georgia, and Arizona as the four Republican pickups in the Senate. So they're forecasting New Hampshire. Yeah. Wow. And Arizona. And Arizona. Yeah, so if those that's right. If Pennsylvania goes to Oz, that keeps us level. Right. And then the other two that are in play, arguably, are Ohio. They had a debate there last night. Have to win that one just to retain the seat. Same in Wisconsin. Ron Johnson, another close one. If those all stay... In Republican hands, you flip those other three. You say three or four? Four. Four, yeah. So Nevada, Arizona, New Hampshire, and Georgia. Correct. If those flip, you're right. Net four. That's fantastic. I I hope that's the case. Uh, The Georgia one is so kooky because we might not know, again, due to their laws, 50-plus-1 laws, with the libertarian candidate in there that may peel off enough votes to... Uh, to cause an issue there, as far as obtaining 50 plus one. Interesting. Stephen from Greenville says, Gerard, I do believe we 
we'll see the Republicans taking over the Senate. I, I pray that's the case. Where was all this talk about violence towards politicians when Maxine Waters was doing her thing? It ain't just Maxine Waters. That's what Kirk and from Columbus says. I agree with you, Kirk, and I, I do think there's a large contingent of people in this country that are just sick of the double standard. It just is. It's a double standard. Even the election denying stuff. Nobody denied the elections more than Hillary Clinton and Stacey Abrams. They're still doing it today. So that's ridiculously hypocritical as well. It needs to be called out. But I agree. What do you think about uh, Larry Amaya's WWT making Barbie Bassett apologize? Yeah, for saying grand mammy is what she said. Um, I, you know, I think, I've always said this with, with respect to what I deem as racism. I think that's a state of heart and mind. I don't think racism is manifested in words, people say. I understand certain words are deemed racist, and they are, they are considered so by some consumers and recipients of those words. I, I see no evidence that Barbie Bassett holds a racist cell in her body, honestly. I'm not sure she knew that the word she used does have a connotation that can be considered racist. I'm not sure she knew that. You know, I think that it seems like companies and corporations these days just respond to backlash that everybody can can provide on social media, honestly. That's where it comes from. Or their digital um, news site. And they respond to that. I call it, I've done it before, I say it again, it's woke insurance. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and check that box and take care of that and apologize. Just leave us alone now. Coming right back for Hour 3 of Midday. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. you in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi, on this hump date. So, Rhino just sent me a tweet that included a fact check, and the Twitterer, the tweeter, should say, was it the White House? Yeah, it was the official White House Twitter account. Yeah, that's what I thought. So... Uh, just looking through this, the White House said in the tweet that seniors are getting the biggest increase in their Social Security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership. Except that's not true. And they were fact-checked because what they're referring to, we've discussed on the program, is the cost of living raise that is scheduled to go into effect Next year, by law, 
cost of living adjustment, COLA is what it's called, is triggered by the CPI inflation. It's automatic. And that was enacted into law, that provision that adjusts Social Security benefits based on inflation was signed into law by President Richard Milhouse Nixon in 1972. This wouldn't have happened if Musk weren't there. You agree? No, not at all. It, it would be left out there to just mislead every Democrat voter. Right. Agree. Which is typical for the Democrats. That's, and, and this has been an effective tool for Democrats, Twitter has. So the thing that comes to mind was the New York Post, right, being deplatformed over breaking the Hunter Biden laptop story. Misinformation. Now we know it's not. That would be an example. So I know we had someone on the text line say that suggest that we're wrong in when we were talking to Ricky, we're wrong in describing the the algorithms, the artificial intelligence algorithms is as being developed with rule sets that are biased to the left and said that that's really not possible in computer programming. Well, it absolutely is. That's just completely untrue. And it's especially, especially artificial intelligence. Right. And and its counterpart, machine learning, it's exactly what it does. You you said it learns what you put into it. Correct. You give it the rules. And it's very complicated. It's very sophisticated software development, software engineering, there's no doubt. But yeah, at its heart are humans. You, you've seen squawks from artificial intelligence used in facial recognition, right? You've seen complaints that those uh, are racially biased. There have been complaints about Twitter and the way it it displays photos. And it's and it's kind of interesting because I think it was unintended, but somehow in the photos it appears that if there are mixed races involved, that the white individuals in the photos are treated a little different in more a positive way. And Twitter, I guess, found out about this, but maybe you'd call that a bug in the algorithm. I mean, there's just so it's not true to say it's not factual to say that it's that it's not possible to include rules in software, software code, programming code that doesn't contain some sort of biases in it. That's absolutely possible. I mean, just look at the engagement numbers since Musk took over from the most vocal from the left. They have plummeted. Yeah. You had some of these nuts on there spouting nonsense, getting tens of thousands of retweets and hundreds and thousands of likes. Now they're down to less than a thousand apiece. Absolutely true. And I, I think that he will get to the bottom of the bots and the, the fake accounts. I think he'll get to the bottom of that. And I think we'll see change there in a positive way. And I think that's, I think that's good. Actually, guys, he is responsible. How in the heck do you think the CPI got that high? That's true, talking about the Social Security adjustments. Good point. That's an excellent point there from Zach and Oxford. 
Ojo did cause the cola with his re- leadership, his inflation. Somebody else picked up on it. You guys are smart. I agree. Of course, we got some sound here. Did I send you some sound on Joe talking about inflation? I can't remember. It was There was so much to uh, pull out yesterday of, of the speeches. Uh, I want to say I sent you something. Biden, what is inflation? You see that? What he describes as inflation? Maybe I didn't send it to you. See if I can. Anyhow, so he... It's pretty simplistic. There he goes. Check that out. It's pretty simplistic description in Joe's mind. What is inflation? And once again, it's a situation where he just doesn't understand basic economics and the root cause of inflation. It's pretty hard to, I guess, come to grips with that if you don't understand its definition or how it would be defined, talking about inflation. You got it? Here we go. That's what I call inflation. The end of the month, what you have left, you have no money, that's inflation. What's, what are you, the things you need, are they going up? <laughs> and they are. They are. That's him coughing, by the way. So at the end of the month, if you don't have any money, that's inflation. That's <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, Joe. <laughs> What is that supposed to mean, from like from a political perspective? What does that mean? I'm left in stunned silence with his economic prowess. <laughs> Andy and Jackson says, I agree, Gerard, on your view on Barbie Bassett. You can be sure her public apology was sincere. I, yeah, I, I say again that for someone, so are they, they're basically asserting that it was inappropriate, the word she used. And, I, you know, if you go out once again and look at, I have, the WLBT site, and look at some of the comments, there are people really jazzed up about this, mad at Barbie. And it's, you know, inexcusable, she needs to be fired immediately, and they're calling for her head and all that kind of stuff. So, I, I say again, is she a racist? No. I don't think so. I've never seen any evidence that would suggest that she is. She committed any kind of acts that would rise to the level of racism? I don't think so. Did she use a word that I guess in some circles is considered racist? I guess. I've I've seen, honestly, I've seen different viewpoints on that particular word, right? But I don't think that's what is at the core here. I, I think, again, what exists in her heart and her mind or any person's. That's that's what defines racism and why we're talking about it. And so I hope she's not terminated and I hope she doesn't resign over this. And the canceled nuts just need to freaking get over it. It's ridiculous. It truly is. There's just much bigger fish to fry. Especially if she apologizes and she won't repeat it. Okay? No big deal. Done. Get over it. Move on. Move forward. The Supreme Court has been watching this with a lot of interest. They're debating right now the case that deals with admissions at Harvard that could 
put a nail in the coffin of this goofy affirmative action, which is racism. That's racism. You will hire this person over that person because of their immutable physical characteristics. That's racism. But not to the left when it's done for certain races. Because according to their standards, that only exists in one direction. No such thing as racism going in the other direction. Which is complete horse hockey. The best comment I saw, Rhino, <laughs> of all the, the discourse between the justices and the lawyers arguing in front of the court, the best one I saw was Clarence Thomas says, I'm not even sure what diversity is. He said, you see that? Like, dude, exactly. What is that? He said that. And they made some goofy argument. We'll talk about it when we come back about why this is so important that we have to continue to discriminate on the basis of race and ethnicity. It's a threat to democracy if we don't do that, right? This was great. We'll come back and talk about it. Stay with us. Back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studio, Super Talk Mississippi, middays. You can now catch Thunder and Lightning live with Brian Haydad across the entire Super Talk Mississippi network and on Super Talk TV each Wednesday night starting at 6 p.m. That would be tonight. Dan in Hattiesburg says, You two need to take it easy on Joe. He learned that definition for inflation when he attended Delaware State. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Let's see. Y'all are just lying dog-faced pony soldiers. If you don't know me, you ain't black. Give me that waffle cone, says CC in Sanatobia. So what Justice Thomas said yesterday, and I'm quoting, he said, I've heard the word diversity quite a few times, and I don't have a clue what it means. It seems to mean everything for everyone. Yeah. Go. Clarence. And the other thing that came up, which was kind of interesting, is that a couple of people arguing in favor of affirmative action. One of these was Elizabeth, Elizabeth Prelogar. And she said, our, earned, our armed forces know from hard experience that when we do not have a diverse officer corps, that is broadly reflective of a diverse fighting force, our strength and cohesion and military readiness suffer. Huh. She said, so it's a critical 
national security imperative to attain diversity within the officer corps. And at president, excuse me, at present, it's not possible to achieve that diversity without race-conscious admissions, including at the nation's service academies. And that's why she was there on behalf of the service academies with respect to college admissions. The military experience confirms what this court recognized in Grutter. That was a case that actually upheld affirmative action in like 83 or something? That was a while back. That in a society where race unfortunately still matters in countless ways, achieving diversity can sometimes require conscious acts by our leading educational institutions. Well, that's a veiled way of saying discrimination and giving preferential treatment. So something that came out in those arguments, we've talked so many times about the march to mediocrity. Something that came out is that if you adjusted SAT scores to coincide with uh, the way students were admitted based on race, you're essentially increasing black students by 50, 75 points and decreasing Asian and, and white applicants, not students, but applicants. So you're adjusting it in that way. Well, how does that benefit society? We want the best. We want the best to receive these educations, the best to pursue these, these jobs, these disciplines, these functions in life. But anyhow, with respect to Ms. Prelogar's arguments in favor of affirmative action, what she what she, what does she say? Conscious conscious acts. In other words, forcing you to select applicants into the college based on their race. We got to do that to assure uh, ensure diversity. And we've learned from the military that that builds the best fighting force. <laughs> Justice Thomas said, and I'm quoting, I've heard similar arguments in favor of segregation, too. True. Absolutely true. So we have to discriminate? The only way we can optimize the capabilities and the readiness of our military is through discrimination? That's, that's what the way I interpret that. These are just weak arguments, and I think we finally have a Supreme Court that's just grounded in truth and common sense and fact. That discrimination is wrong no matter what, and that we're going to lose our meritocracy in this country if we continue down this path where all outcomes are based on immutable physical characteristics. That's really what this diversity effort is. You should be able to stand on your own, on merit, on performance, on capabilities, on skill set, value. Just incredible. Gary Meridian says, Gerard, ask any veteran. We don't give a rat's behind what the officer corps looks like as long as they know what they are doing and that they stand behind their men. Amen, Gary. I, I believe you're absolutely right. I've heard that from members of the military, and I, I would extend that, Gary, to 
all facets, all walks, all disciplines in life. I'm on the operating table about to go under for life-saving cardiac surgery. Don't care about the race, gender, ethnicity of the surgeon. All I care about is, you know what you're doing, right? You're going to take care of me. Absolutely, Mr. Gibbert. I've done this countless times, walking the park. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear, well, I'm only here because I was admitted into medical school because, due to my race or my ethnicity or my gender or something else, some other physical characteristic. Nobody wants to hear that. In any race, let's be honest. At that point in time, I hear you, Gary. He says the purpose of the military is to destroy the enemy, not a place for social experimentation. Amen. I agree. It's, it's disturbing. Tim and McGee says if they didn't make Barbie apologize, do you think this would have been an issue at all? Hell, I still don't know what the word means. Never heard of it. I'm honestly not sure, Tim. I, I don't know. But apparently there was a meltdown. Sometimes, Rhino, I think people just want a cause. They just want a pound of flesh, right? They want that dopamine rush that you've talked about so many times. Let me go Their out there. Their lives are so sad and lonely that they have to feel something and get agitated over nonsense. You know what my message to them is? Go be somebody. Go do something. Go produce something for society. You're not doing that by tearing down somebody else on social media over some stupid word. Just not. I've known Barbie for many years, not a racist bone in her body, praying for her and her family. That on the 662. That's why I sarcastically use the term hashtag activism, because it does jack diddly squat. I agree. Larry and Jackson, the young people at Channel 3, are going to ruin their station if they make Barbie leave. A lot of longtime viewers will move on. I believe that's probably the case. Yeah, I, I hear you. What about a short, fat, white boy playing in the NBA on the ceasefire tax line? Yeah, we've talked about that before. I, I hearken back to that classic video we played, the University of Florida. They interviewed a few students, asked them what they thought about in, implementing diversity, equity, inclusion, and giving preferential treatment and admissions and grading and uh, other academic endeavors based on race, etc. Yeah, 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 I'm all for that. Well, what about the football team? Oh, no, we're terrible as it is. Remember that? I mean, they were serious, too. I'm okay with it in the classroom or in the admissions office, but not on the football team. That's different. we got to win the football game because it affects them, see? Now you're affecting them. It's just unbelievable. And um, Barbie Bassett Bowe says is very successful and really doesn't need the headache WLBT has become over the last decade. That's may be true. We've already already set the appeasement precedent. Barbie will fall victim in the name of appeasement. I hope that's not the case. That's Thomas and Greenwood. We got a special session underway right now. You guys have heard that on our news, have probably seen that across the Magnolia State. The governor says they got a big economic project that must be attended to down there at the legislature. So they are, I believe, in session right now, gaveled in around 10 o'clock and discussing particulars. I'm not exactly sure, but we will find out. We'll talk about it. Not exactly sure ex why the legislature and the government's got to get involved. We could guess all kind of things. It could be 
some sort of financial incentives, enticements that uh, the company that are required in order for the company to pull the trigger on this two and a half billion dollar project? I'm not sure. It, it could be some other matters pertaining to possibly land was something else that I thought about. I don't know. I, I've seen no reports thus far, Rhino. I'm not sure if you have. But uh, let's see. Where do you get that from, Thomas? So the state is spending $240,000 per job. Where did you get that? Where'd you get that data? Just, I mean, I'm curious. I haven't seen that or heard that. Let me know. I don't know what they're spending. That sounds like a lot to me. State is spending? No, it's $2.5 billion is the amount the company's spending, Thomas. Is that what you're talking about? That's the capital investment, not the state's investment. So, not sure where you're getting that from. Half hour left on middays in the Element Well Studios. Coming right back. Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. everyone midday super talk mississippi in the element well studios so lots of questions about barbie bassett of course a, a more of a local personality here in central mississippi wlbt which has a pretty big footprint but um she said was it was it saturday it was saturday right um somehow fitting in with uh game day going on at the yeah, same the time coverage of the game yeah and so she said the word uh, grandmammy, and I can't remember the exact statement in the context, and hope I don't get canceled for saying it. I'm just repeating what she said there. And uh, it, so that has been now described as objectionable, and some people took offense to it. And so I, I guess there's some link to the word mammy that goes back to Slave times, times of slavery, right? That refers to like I think a, that was the reference to the. Uh, didn't she win an Oscar in Gone with the Wind? Yeah, was Mammy. Yeah, yeah. you're right about that. I I thought I just you're right. That's in the movie. That's what her, that's what they called her, right? I mean, that was the term used. It's um, I think it's typically used to depict a black woman who works for a white family and and cares for the the children etc which is the way mammy was portrayed in the movie and what an incredible acting performance that was right uh, it's just unbelievable so uh again i think i think her statement isn't yeah, it the it was le- Hattie McDaniel her role as Mammy in Gone with the Wind. She won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, becoming the first African-American to win an Oscar. It was obviously well-deserved. It was an incredible performance. 
Uh, of course, all the acting in that movie was. It's classic. But, of course, is that one of the reasons, I assume, that you got to see all these disclaimers, about 14 pages of contextualized disclaimers, right, before you can watch Gone with the Wind? Oh, yeah. Insane. One of the greatest motion picture works of art ever. It's art. Forget about it. You know, the, the content. Content. Nobody's saying they're for slavery because they made the movie. The movie is, I think, a pretty believable. It's, it's fiction, of course, but it's believable for the times. So it's an historical account. Can't we discern between that and real life these days? Something happened so long ago? Not if you're on the left, because if you're on the left, you just regurgitate whatever you've been spoon-fed. So you get somehow some sort of twisted power out of just holding on to 1862, right? I guess. Well, anyhow. Can't acknowledge any progress that's been made since I, then. I got you. I see. So we're just stuck in time in 1862. Yep. Well, that's horse hockey. So anyhow, Barbie Bassett gets excoriated over that use of that term. And it's it was... I think, gross overreaction. Anyhow, that's what happened. So she is a, a television personality on WLBT, does the weather, been there a long time. She's very popular, very well-liked, and I think does a good job. Whether or not some people think this is a mistake, I don't know. I, I don't... Again, I say it's a mistake if there was something intentional out of her heart and out of her mind that had some racist theme to it. But it's just not clear that that's what that was. I'm not buying that, honestly. And again, you have to look at a person's whole life. It's the same thing with Thomas Jefferson. Okay, he had slaves. That's bad. Shouldn't have done that. We don't condone that, but can we not also recognize his contributions to the nation? Do we just throw those out? How do you do that? We're all flawed sinners. We we are. That's if you if you believe as I do in the Bible and in God and how we got on this planet and the fact that we are just flawed, failed humans trying to live our lives and hopefully earn our reward in heaven, what we pretty much know is we're going to sin along the way. Following that same logic, if every time you go to the doctor, the doctor should apologize for the practice of medicine using lobotomies 100 years ago <laughs> That's or more. True. Anyhow, Leo and McComb asked that question. Several other people did, too. Mo says the Senate is recessed until 2 and the House is subject to call. I believe what I'm hearing is that a package passed the Senate, sent over to the House, and they recessed. $18 million is for land to complete the purchase for the project. The state is putting up a total of $250 million for the company to invest $2.5 billion. If the project fails, they have to repay the state. Thanks for updating us, Mose. I, too, reached out to a couple of members and, and uh, got that, the same feedback. I got the same descriptions you did, so thank you for that. Thomas and Greenwood says Briggs Hobson just announced it on your newsfeed. I, I heard it literally in the hall. Thank you for that, Thomas, as well. So you're right, two hundred forty six thousand 
per job if it's a thousand jobs. So um, I haven't seen all the details, so I can't say if it's a good deal or not. Now I will say this: uh, I don't think. No, I, I I know you can't just look at the amount invested by the company in the project to determine whether or not the state's, the public's investment in the project produces a good return. So if the company says we're going to spend $2.5 billion on this project, and the state says, okay, here's $240 million for various incentives, those you can't extrapolate from that that the state will receive a return, a fair return on that investment simply because of the amount of capital investment. The state technically doesn't benefit from that. Where we benefit is through job creation, taxes paid, economic activity brought on by jobs that are paying high wages like that. No doubt. That's tremendous. So, and is it possible to calculate that? Yes, it is. It is. And then the question is, does this project happen without these incentives? That's always the, the thing that I think gets lost on, uh, by the folks who would oppose such incentives. They got all the cards. And the fact is, other states are willing to play. They're, they're willing to ante up. And when you're dealing with that, you can say, no, 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 and stand by your principle. That's great, except you don't get anything. That's a tough one. And I don't know where we got to the point where states are highly competitive with each other often for these projects. I've, I've witnessed it working in just in a board capacity in economic development. It, it just happens. And do they play one off the other? Absolutely. Just like you do when you're making major purchases and you're trying to leverage other opportunities and other options in competing. Absolutely. So these are tough these are tough calls. You can stand your ground, I guess, and say, no, we just we object to that on principle. And then the company says, okay, see you. Now if you've got something that's unique or proprietary or doesn't require such incentives, you're gonna win no matter what. Well it doesn't make any sense to do that. And it's, it's playing poker. It's high-stakes, big-dollar poker is what it is. just is. Thomas and Greenwood, so we compromise our principles, yet still claim to be conservatives. Or we just be broke. We stood by our principles. We can't eat. We're broke. We got no jobs. We have no economic activity. Now, see, that's the alternative that I think often gets overlooked in so if you invested $240 million, Thomas, and, and you, you produced ROI analyses that showed that the return on that investment is, let's say, 10x that, is that liberal or conservative? I've been in that seat. Not to that level, of course, but... I've had to make those decisions. Um, again, should other businesses' tax money be used to subsidize other private businesses? That's what Thomas says. Well, what if the businesses... <laughs> you see, this is where I just don't understand how people can't see just how tightly integrated and how diverse the economy is. 
So let's just say, for example, Thomas, that you're one of those businesses that uh, you're paying taxes and you're watching your taxes be used for this project, but in return for that, this company's going to do a lot of business with you, which is going to make you more profitable and increase your economic well-being. What about that? See, think about that. And how, so that just means that you probably don't subscribe to this idea. I'm not going to call it trickle-down, because that's, that's kind of a, a terribly used term, but the idea of just economic integration and in, in, in flow of economic dollars. We're coming right back. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back. Final segment, midday, Super Talk Mississippi. They took two votes in the Senate, according to Moe's. One was unanimous, and the overall vote had two vote present. Thanks for that. Uh, let's see. Something else. David from Bruce says, you have to spend money to make money. So, uh, you know, Thomas asked the question. It's a fair question. So it's proper for government to incentivize businesses using taxpayer money. I need to see the details of this, but typically, Thomas, the way this works is it's not like writing checks. Here's just money, uh, which is what the federal government, by the way, did with the CHIPS Act. That's just, here's money to various chip manufacturers uh, with a lot of strings attached, of course. Typically, though, the way these things are structured is that there is abatement of income taxes, property taxes at the local level, uh, either for some period of time, typically it's for some period of time. And then the other thing is the taxes that the workers would pay, state taxes, the company typically gets a credit for that. So the workers pay those taxes in to uh, the Department of Revenue, and then the Department of Revenue turns around and credits the company back for the amount they paid in. That's the way the Continental Tire deal was structured. So I, I can't really opine on that, Thomas, but uh, until I see the details, he says, why not abate taxes for existing businesses to keep them here, to keep them open? If that would keep them here, keep them open, I'd be for that, but that rarely ever comes up. So pushing to continue to reduce taxes in Mississippi, such as the goofy franchise tax that we phased out. That was one of the worst taxes ever invented. That would be an example. Mississippi already has a relatively low tax environment. Our, our problem in attracting businesses here is typically not that. That's not where we get into, run into challenges. It's, it's availability of labor, skilled labor. I mean, just across the board, they'll tell you that. It's workforce. In, this, in the case of this particular operation, though, there's some logistical assets as well they need, and Columbus fits that, uh, that, that bill pretty well. But uh, it's highly likely, I would be shocked to learn that there aren't other competitors out there that are offering sweet deals to get them in. So we could say, no, we're not playing. And they'll say, okay, see you. So how do we benefit if we do that? I, I think, 
I think what's being overlooked, Thomas, in your analysis is the existing businesses benefit. We all benefit by growing the economy. We need more people making high wages. That's how you grow the economy. I mean, I, I believe in the idea of, of uh, lifting all the boats here. I just do. You know, you get a, a thousand people in the Golden Triangle area, wages, you know what they do? They buy cars and houses and appliances and everything else you buy to live, and they got more disposable income to do with it. So guess who benefits? All the businesses, because all the people they're buying that stuff from, they make more money, and they hire more people, and they're able to pay their people more. I mean, it's pretty simple economics. Snowball effect. Now, if this were to incentivize a business to come in and locate across the street from one already engaged in that industry? Yeah, I'd have a huge objection to that. Um, but I don't think that's the case. I know that's not the case. This is a very unique sort of operation. No, it's not central planning. They're not going to tell them how much they got to produce, how much they're going to pay people, who they're going to sell it to. That's central planning. That's just different. We, we've been through this. That's what Joe wants to do. He wants to tax the oil and gas companies on their windfall profits. That's central planning. You make too much money, i got to take more from you. That clearly is central planning. We wouldn't have a Nissan or a Toyota without economic incentives. And, I, and I'm not saying that they're, they're all good, they all make sense, and that we should just sign off on every one of them. No. I think each case has to be analyzed individually. And it does take a fair amount of work to do that. Also, there are some provisions, it is my understanding in this package, that um, if they fail to meet some of the requirements, some of this money can be clawed back. I'd be curious to know the details of how that would be performed. Um, I think there have been lessons learned in the past on that, where that wasn't included in certain incentive packages, and I think our government's learned the lesson on that. So. I believe that's good. So what's the industry we are about to flood with capital? Uh, I think we can talk about that now. Can we not, Rhino? I don't think it's I don't think it is uh, non-disclosable information. I think it's public information. It's it's an aluminum mill. It's what it is. Right? Yeah. So um, that's what it is. And I don't know that we have another one in the state of Mississippi, to my knowledge. Yeah. So that's the deal. Um, and again, we could certainly say no. And if that's what you want to do, be sure to let your reps and senators know. But gosh, it sounds to me like it's being received very favorably if we had a vote in the Senate. One unanimous and one with two presents? Sounds pretty good to me. I think the House is just working through some details. We're out of here today. I think Russ Latino filling in tomorrow. I'll be up in Oxford and then in Starkville on Friday. Looking forward to that. Until then, stay safe. God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.